Praise the Lord. Tonight, I am uh, thankful for the opportunity to speak, and it's always a blessing and an honor um, to have this opportunity, and the pastor uh, asked me to speak tonight, and as I was studying, and actually he didn't know when he asked me, I already had something sort of percolating in my mind and heart, and uh, something I came across when reading scripture recently, and um, tonight I think you're going to get to hear the fruition of that. Um, but God is so good, and so many times, especially when the going gets rough, things are hard, things are tough, it's hard to remember that. But as we heard on Sunday from Pastor's message on Psalm 107. What a great word on Sunday that we had from the scriptures in Psalm and also just life in general happening recently. I feel like God is moving and trying to mature us as a church body more and more. So I'm going to draw your attention to a Bible character that, I mean, he's well-known and everybody has heard of him and he's talked about a lot but I haven't heard him like a, a character study on him ever before and so I'm just going to pull out a little bit that I have seen in this man of God and that is John the Baptist ever heard of John the Baptist John the Baptist, from the very beginning of his life, in fact, a little bit before the beginning of his life, Luke tells us that his mom, Elizabeth, was barren and stricken in years, which is a nice way to say pretty gray-headed, which is also a nice way to say it, and she had no children. She was barren and past the age where she thought that would be a possibility. And her husband, Zacharias, was in the temple one day. He was a priest, and she was actually one of the, of the sons of Aaron. So she came from the high priest lineage. And when he was in the temple ministering, doing his priestly duties, he was at the altar of incense when an angel came to him. The Bible tells us the angel Gabriel came to him and told him he was going to have a child. Now, Zacharias, as maybe many of us, I might myself be tempted to do this. How is this possible? I'm old, my wife is old, and we haven't had children yet, you're telling me we're going to have a child. And you are probably familiar with the story. When he uh, doubted like that, Gabriel said, well, for that doubt, you're going to be dumb. You can't speak until he's born. And so he told him, the angel said, you're going to name him John, and he's going to be literally, he says it right there, that he's going to be after the spirit and power of Elias. So he knew that this was going to be someone who was the forerunner of the Messiah. And after they finish their priestly duties, go back home, um, the time comes when, behold, Elizabeth is ready to have a child. And before she does, we know the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was also pregnant, this time even more miraculously in that she hadn't been with her husband at that time. And when she came to Mary or Elizabeth, her cousin, uh, John the Baptist in the womb jumped just at the presence of Jesus in the room, not even yet born. Powerful, powerful understanding that John the Baptist in infancy, in pre-infancy, I don't know how you want to say that, knew that he was in the presence of the Messiah. Amen? And both of them, if you read the story, Elizabeth prophesies, Mary prophesies, everybody is, this is godly. They know that this is of God. And what's going to happen is something that God has designed. Amen? 
And John the Baptist is born, and he goes on to become a great prophet. He is eating locusts and wild honey. Doesn't sound like my meal of choice. But he's eating locusts and wild honey. He wears a garment of camel's hair. Also not my garment of choice. And he's prophesying out in the wilderness. And uh, there is a funny video. I, I tried to find it. I've shown it in youth group years ago of John the Baptist. And it's kind of being a little bit of a farce um, to kind of hook the young people in. And John the Baptist, this crazy guy, is just going around. And the only thing he ever says is the word, repent, 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 repent. And they have an interview with his mom and dad, and they said, well, his message is so deep and so intense, and you should just really hear his message. He just captivates his audience. And then you see John the Baptist in the background, repent, repent, repent. He's only teaching about repentance. And that is what he's doing, but we know he's doing much more than that. John the Baptist is not named John the Baptist because he was preaching about repentance only. He was baptizing people. And many, many people came to be baptized under his, uh, uh, while he was a prophet. And so much so that one day Jesus himself comes on the scene. And when John the Baptist is baptizing people, he looks up and he sees Jesus coming and he makes this proclamation out of the blue. I imagine John's disciples were like, what's he talking about? Out of the blue, Jesus comes walking by and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. John the Baptist knew who Jesus was. Not a relative, not just another guy, not a, another guy with influence, but he was the Messiah. And he made that proclamation. And as he came, Jesus, um, in fact, John the Baptist, people would ask him, are, are you the Messiah? And he's like, no, I'm not the Messiah. I'm going before the Messiah. I'm the one that's coming before. I'm preparing the way. And he says, I'm not even wor worthy. He's coming. One who's greater than I is coming, who's latching on his shoes. I'm not even worthy to bend down and unloose because the Messiah is not me, but I'm leading the way. He is coming. And then he makes the announcement, behold the Lamb of God. And then we know the story. Jesus himself is baptized by John the Baptist. And John, at this baptism, sees the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it rests upon Jesus. And he hears the voice, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Isn't that amazing? This is John the Baptist. If anybody at that time knew who Jesus was, it was him. He knew Jesus. He knew who he was. And then Jesus goes on and begins his ministry after he's baptized. And he starts doing miracles and, and healing blinded eyes and doing all of these things that we know Jesus did. John the Baptist surely heard of all these miracles that Jesus was doing. And at one point, they question John again. And John responds with, he must increase and I must decrease. They say, John, hey, you know that Jesus, his crew is baptizing a whole bunch of people and everybody's going to him to be baptized. And John makes that statement. He says, it, he must increase and I must decrease. Why? He knew he wasn't the Messiah. He knew that Jesus was. This is John the Baptist. Everybody with me? He has a connection he knows who Jesus is. All right, so then something happens to poor John. He starts speaking up against Herod. And as he's preaching against Herod, and the kings don't really like it when you preach against them. Not their favorite thing to be called out. And he preaches against him, says, you're involved with your brother's wife, and you shouldn't be. It's wrong. And Herod, of course, gets mad. And what happens to John the Baptist? Probably what happens 
to all of us at some point in our life. Maybe not as drastic as John the Baptist, but spiritually speaking, all of us sometimes we go through this period of time where we have a, a things are going good, we're feeling good, the Spirit of God is moving, we know things are, are going great, and then something happens, a trial, a situation, a circumstance, a problem, sickness maybe, whatever it might be, John the Baptist found himself in prison. And while he was in prison, some things happened. This is where we're going to start our text from uh, the Bible. If we can go to Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 2. John's already in prison. He says, now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Ever been in the depths, and that's when your foundation is shaken a little bit? Here's John the Baptist, who knew who Jesus was from the womb, knew who Jesus was. Goes through a hard time, and what's the first thing he does? He doubts. He questions. I don't know about you. I've been there. I've had experiences with God, know God. And sometimes, somehow, when you're in that despair, that situation, somehow those things you forget and you start to doubt. Doubt creeps in. And I love Jesus' answer. Jesus answered and said unto him, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Can you go back, Sister Kelsey, to verse 4? Because I want you to see this. Jesus answered and said unto them, go and show John again. Jesus was just reminding John, don't forget, I know you're in prison, I know you're going through a hard time, I know things are bad, but if you can just hit rewind in your mind for a second, go back a little bit and remember what you know about me, then maybe the situation won't be so bad. Remind yourself of the things that I have done. The blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing. I am doing a great work. You know me, John. Don't forget. Remember, go back again. Show him again. He already knew it. He just needed a reminder of that. Show him again this stuff, what I do. This is exactly what Pastor was preaching on Sunday, and I'm not going to rehash what he said, but I would want to read just a little bit of Psalm 107 to remind you, because here we are in our lives, and things happen just like that. Things are going great, feels good, life is awesome, and then, bam, something comes up. Something comes against us, a situation, whatever it might be, and it's easy to forget. It's easy to question, what is God doing in this time? Why is he letting me go through it? And his response is, just remember. Go back again. Remind yourself what I've done. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm going to say so. I'm struggling here, but I know here. I might be going through a hard time even not feeling like it. I don't want to say I'm redeemed of the Lord, but scripture told me to do it. So I'm going to do it out of obedience. And I know people have issues with this, but I believe it. Fake it till you make it. <laughs> if you don't feel it, say it anyways. If you don't feel like dancing, dance anyways. If you don't feel like clapping your hands, clap anyways. Somehow, the act of doing starts to stir the spirit a little bit and you start to respond down here and the feeling comes later. 
Sometimes we respond out of emotion, and that's great. Sometimes we respond against our emotion. And I think that sacrifice of thanksgiving is more pleasing to God when you know you're doing it and you don't want to. Amen? Maybe that's just me, but I've been there. I don't feel like clapping, but Lord, you've been so good. I don't feel like dancing, but you've been too good for me to just secede to my own feelings. Amen? And he calls it a sacrifice of praise. That means it's not easy. It's not a sacrifice if you can do it. It's a sacrifice when it's hard and you do it anyways. Amen? Amen. Let the redeemed of the Lord say it, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, verse 3, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. Things weren't good. They found no city to dwell in. Verse 5, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. This isn't good. That's not positive. But then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distress. I'm going to trust God even when it's hard. Ah, and it's easy to say that. But when it's hard, it's not easy to do it. Amen? Just remind yourself. Remind yourself. Psalm 20, verse 7 says this. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. It's tough, things are hard, but I'm going to remember what God has done. Amen. Psalm 77, will the Lord cast off forever? Oh, things aren't good. And will he be favorable no more? Ever feel in despair like that? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in his anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. Think about that. In the next verse, and I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I know I'm struggling now, but I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. Even when the struggle seems so hard, I will remember. And I want to point out, John didn't remind himself. He was struggling in that prison. And he sent his disciples to say, hey, are you the one? John, he knows he's the one. But he was struggling so much, he sent his disciples, Jesus, are you the one that should come? And Jesus didn't chastise him. He didn't make a mockery of him. Didn't say, shame on you for doubting. Didn't do any of that. He said, just go tell him again. Remind him of these things that I'm doing. Just one more time, go remind John of the things I... Isn't God good? It's okay. We're human. We're going to doubt. But we got to remember who he is and not let the doubt overcome. Amen? I'm going to remind myself that God is good even in the struggle. That's what's going to see me through. God's not going to chasten you or be angry with you for the doubt. It's just if you don't let yourself remember. I'm struggling, Lord. I'm struggling now. And he just turned to his disciples and said, just go show him again. Tell him again. He'll do that for you. Remember the song, remind me, remind me, dear Lord, roll back the curtains of memory now and then. I feel that way. God, when I'm struggling, just remind me a little bit of who you are so I can see my way through. Hallelujah. It's precisely in these times of trials and circumstances and problems that we must turn to the Lord and remember his promises. This, oh, I guess about 10 days ago, and I won't spend long time here or dwell on it, but you might have heard I was in a lockdown situation at Licking Valley, and it was pretty intense. And to spare too many of the details, they called a level three lockdown 
and you could hear in the principal's voice that this was for real. And so my students and I hadn't even sat down yet. The bell had just sounded, and so we were just getting ready at the very beginning of class. And uh, I went over and locked the door and put the, the special heavy-duty lock that we have that only the police can open. So nobody else can get in that room until the police come and lift that special lock. And we sat up against the wall, and, and it was intense. We were listening. We are trying to find out what was happening. We were very quiet. And of course, looking on my phone, trying to see if there's any information out there. And the only information I could, it seems like the news, man, they, breaking news, blah, blah, blah. They didn't have anything. I checked every major news outlet I could find. And my neighbor, we had just locked down. I sat down on the floor. And <laughs> right then, my neighbor texts me and asks if I'm okay. Well, that's worrisome. Uh, I'm in a lockdown and I don't know why yet. And then he tells me why. And it was pretty intense. Active shooter. He said middle school, other reports were coming in on social media, not the news, social media saying the high school, this, that, and the other, all kinds of random and many of it false information. And um, whew, got pretty intense when you're sitting against the wall looking at your students' face faces and you get on your phone, there's an active shooter. Do I tell them? Do I, I mean, what, what do they know? <laughs> I mean, these aren't elementary school students here. These are kids with jobs. Like, what, do they have a right to know? Should I not scare them? What, and right then I look over and one of my students is on their phone. I'm like, they probably already know more than I do. So I was like, okay, guys, here's what's going on, and just kind of explain it. And then we were kind of helping each other, and I didn't know what was going on with Reagan at the middle school, because she's at the middle school, and I didn't know. And the first report I saw was the shooter was at middle school, and I, she wouldn't text me back. And she's a rule follower, and I love her for it. But if they say don't use your phone, she's not going to use her phone. <laughs> she might have had it in her book bag and in a different room, for all I know. So I was not too worried. But as a parent, I was real worried. And sitting there just waiting for a, a text message or anything from her, I'm, my students were really good. They had some of the teacher's phone numbers up at the middle school, and they were texting up there, trying to find out how my daughter was doing. Um, anyhow, about that time, there's a jiggle on our door. And no announcement, just we hear, this one's locked, and then shouting in the hallway. And so immediately, my students just looked at me, and I'm not fear. I did not experience fear. I want you to hear me say that. I was not afraid, but I was aware and alert. And I knew that that little lock on the bottom of our door was not going to let anybody in. And so if that was the shooter, he wasn't getting in. And so I just sat there. I tried not to look afraid. And... They watched me, and we were silent, and then it kind of calmed down, and that moment was probably the most intense. I heard my heart beating. I felt my breathing get, you know, increase. I was sitting in crisscross applesauce on the floor. I got up onto my knees at that moment, because if somebody were to come through the door, it would have been like a turtle on a shell trying to get up. And I would have had a hard time getting away. Run, guys, just run. I'll catch up. <laughs> so I got up on my knees then. I don't know how long we sat. At one point, my students were like, we've been here an hour. Um, then it was longer than that. And finally, saw some reports on social media. This and that made me feel a little better. Um, and then the police came to the door and announced themselves. The first time, it was the police, too. But they were, at that time, looking for the active shooter and were listening in the rooms. If the door was open, they were going in with the gun pointed. And some teachers didn't have that little lock on their door and got a gun pointed in their room. And if the door was locked, they were just listening for signs of maybe a shooter in there. Of course, once they figured out that the call was just, just a hoax, didn't feel like that to any of us who were in the room at the time. But I say all of that 
to say this, after it was all said and done, and met up with Reagan, knew she was all right, um, some of the teachers, and rightly so, were upset. It affected some of them. And um, one teacher didn't come to school on Monday, and I don't blame that teacher for that. And then uh, another teacher I was talking to, we went through the whole week and talking about it just, just fine. And then on the very last day of the week, on Friday, she said, how are you doing with all of this? And I said, well, honestly, I'm doing good. I, I've been, she's like, well, how are you dealing with it? Like, you want to know the truth? I'm praying. I'm praying. And I have a church family. Like the fair first night, we, we still went camping. So I told the story about a hundred times. In fact, so many times my poor wife was like, I don't want to hear this again. And, and I don't know if the matter of talking about it with my church family and also praying about it, I, I wasn't, I'm okay. I'm okay. And I told her, you know what I do is whenever, there's a verse in the Bible that says when um, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden's light. And so I will envision myself like putting my problems, like literally visualize putting my problems into his hands. And if I take my problems and, and see them go into his hands and say, God, I can't handle this. Your word says your yoke is easy. I'm going to take your yoke and your burden and you can have mine. And when I do that, there's a release. I know that the Lord has taken care of it. And so I was talking to her about that. And, and later on, I shared some of these verses. So I want you to see these verses because God is working in your tribulation, in your trial, in your situation, whatever it is, when you feel despair, remember. Remember these verses. I'll start with that in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. You know this scripture, it's very popular for us. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Verse 29 Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. When things are going crazy, you will find rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. I don't have to worry about it. I'm just going to put it on Jesus, and he cares for me. John chapter 14 and verse 7. I love this one. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give. That's the Prince of Peace talking. And he says, my peace I give to you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. What that careful is there, don't be anxious for anything. Don't be worried about anything. When you start to feel worry, what do you do? Pray. Ask God to help with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God, that sacrifice of thanksgiving. I'm going through it, Lord. I'm worried about something. I'm, I'm fretting over something, but I thank you for being so good. I'm putting this in your hands. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, I should be tore up. I should be worried. I sat and I thought a gunman was at the door. I didn't know what was going to happen. Mentally, it would be, I don't think anybody would blame me if I kind of went a little, oh, but I don't have to because I, it passes understanding. I'm, I should be afraid, but I don't need to because I have his peace. It shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on all your problems. Think on all your struggles. Think about, John, that you're in prison. No, Think on these good things. Let your mind go there. 
how good God has been to you, how great he's, he is, the wonderful works. And if you, haven't, if you can't remember something good he's done for you because you're going through it, has he done something for someone else? Do you remember a testimony in church or a friend or somebody that God has done something for? Think on those things. God is going to keep your heart and your mind. And 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That just means I'm okay. I don't have to go crazy in one way or another. I can just have control over this thing. Amen? That's the power that God gives us. Hallelujah. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know what? In life, what, how, if I'm going through a struggle, that's the hardest time to think the right way. Right now, when I'm lucid, I can tell you, you're going through it, think of these things. But when you're going through it, hard to make your brain think on those things. Amen? What do you do? In the Bible days, they actually built memorials or altars that would remind them of things. They would remember covenants. Abraham, when he covenanted with God, built an altar so that whenever he came back, he remembered his commitment, the promises of God that he made to him. Moses and Jethro built an altar as a reminder of the covenant that they had. Um, many scriptures talk about different memorials that were built. Joshua came through the Jordan River and the waters were split and they came through across the Jordan into the promised land and built a memorial. God told them, actually Joshua had to do two things. One, when they came through the river, God told them to take the stones out of the river and set them up. Because when your kids come by and say, what are these rocks sitting here for? 12 rocks. Why? Then they should tell them, hey, because look what God did for us. Don't forget, these waters were parted and we came through. We were slaves in Egypt and God wandered us through the wilderness and then provided us a way. And now every place our foot treads is ours. Amen? That's a reminder. Those stones were a reminder. Spiritually, Lord, help me set up some reminders. Remind me again. Help me to remember those things that, and I'm sure if you thought right now, you could think of some real times in your life when God showed up. Some memorial things, some things that God did for you that you can say, I know that was God. There's no way that situation would have been taken care of unless God had shown up. And I want Sister Kelsey, I don't know if you can show those photos right now, but the first photo uh, in researching these altars was actually, I mean, I'm probably too much into history now and archaeology, and I'm just an amateur. I don't know what I'm doing at all, but I find it completely fascinating. And poor Reagan is with me when I find photos from, you know, 100 plus years ago of things in Newark. And then on our way home, if I deviate any way from our normal trip home, she's, okay, Dad, what part of the canal are we going to go look at now? <laughs> well, it's just a little bit that's left over here, but you got to see it. Oh, anyways, this picture uh, doesn't do it justice at all. This is a rock um, formation, and I don't know if you can see the ramp coming up this side. And the stones are not cut. They're just taken right from the earth and set up. And uh, Deuteronomy, well, don't put it up yet. Keep this picture up. So there are rocks that are not cut. There's a ramp going up. Um, there's bone evidence, ashes that show the bones that were sacrificed on this, what is an altar, were um, animal bones that were kosher. So it was probably a Hebrew site where they had sacrificed on this altar. And if you might recall, if you read Deuteronomy, and I'll read a few scriptures here, but if you remember, they weren't supposed to build steps going up to the altar so that you couldn't see up their robes. That's what the Bible says. So 
there's no steps, there's a ramp. That just kind of is more proof that this is likely a Hebrew altar. And then the stones were not cut. So this is from Deuteronomy. You can leave the picture up, Sister Kelsey. I'll just read. And Moses with the elders of Israel commanded the people saying, keep all the commandments which I command you this day. And it shall be on the day when ye shall pass over Jordan unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, that thou shalt set thee up great stones and plaster them with plaster. And thou shalt write on them all the words of this law when thou art passed over, and that thou mayest go in unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, a land that floweth with milk and honey, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee. Therefore it shall be when ye are gone over Jordan, that ye shall set up these stones, which I command you this day, in Mount Ebal. Guess where this is? Mount Ebal. And thou shalt uh, plaster them with plaster. He says it again. And there shalt thou build an altar unto the Lord thy God, an altar of stones. Thou shalt not lift up any iron tool upon them. Right from the Bible, here is an altar that has been found that shows stones that have not had any iron tool on them. No steps going up. They built a ramp and all these things. And guess what else they found? Plaster on some of these rocks suggesting that they were covered with plaster at one point. This very likely could be, no one's going to say 100%. This is very likely the altar that Joshua built when they crossed over Jordan, that God commanded them in this scripture to build. Isn't that cool? That's really cool to me. We're looking at it. Okay, great. Good story. Photo number two. Oh, it's kind of dark. I wish you could see it a little better. But do you see sort of a footprint? You see that? And then stuff in the middle. Okay, so this is a footprint. This is in Gilgal or Camp Gilgal where they believe immediately after they crossed the Jordan River. This is a good probable place where the Israelites could have set up their camp. And they have found this. Now, there's no mention of a, of a foot-shaped monument in Scripture, but the name Gilgal does imply a circle. And so there is some idea here that this might be. They date to the time when Joshua came across. And um, again, the same things with the stones. They're not no tools. And then um, they suspect that this is a likely place where those 12 stones were brought out of the river and set up as a monument there. Later, maybe moved to another place that they also named Gilgal, but not the Camp Gilgal. Anyhow, this could be that place. They have found six other sites of rings that are shaped like a foot and they believe that that was because of the promise that anywhere you place your foot, I will give you that land. That's cool. This is a memory. It's a memorial for those ancient Hebrews who walked through and said, what is this giant foot doing here? Well, let me just tell you, this is how God delivered us. Remember what God did for us. This is a memorial for you to remember what I have done. Hallelujah. We don't generally have physical monuments that we set up in our lives, but there are some spiritual monuments that I don't know about you, but I've got times when God provided that I know only God could have done it. Very big things. The night I was filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Do you remember? I remember. I was six years old, almost seven. I was young. <laughs> And I was standing right over here. Now, I can't tell exactly because if you recall, if you've been here for very long, the altar here used to have seven steps going up to it. And it was kind of a little different. So I can't remember if I was here or there, or here or there, but I was over here. And I remember being filled with the Holy Ghost people surrounding me. And uh, do you remember the night you got the Holy Ghost? That's a memorial. I once was blind, now I see. I was on my way to a dark future, but God saw fit to save me. Amen? And he saved you. 
That's a memorial. I remember that night. Some of you might even remember, now I was kind of young, I do have some memories before six, not really great ones because my family got saved about that time. Hallelujah. The Lord saved them because some of the memories I have are not holy ones. But God saved us. Hallelujah. And you might remember what it was like before you got the Holy Ghost. Some of your memorials might be things that God did to draw you to him. I can remember stories my mom telling me of how just different things would happen. And, and they were little memorials for her that God was really dealing with her heart to come into this thing. Uh, one time her and dad were sitting on the couch. Or, well, dad was asleep on the couch, she thought. And she was sitting next to him and just talking. And she said, if we're going to do this, we're, we're really going to do this. I don't want to fake going to church. I'm, I'm really going to do it. And she looked, and Dad had a tear coming down his cheek. Like, God did some great things before you get the Holy Ghost. And you might remember some of the things God did for you to draw you to him before the Holy Ghost. Some of you have gone through trials in your life that only God was able to make it away. When there was a provision, one time, I've probably told this story before, but we were... We had just bought a house, newly married, and uh, some of our family let us come to a vacation with them, paid for. We just had to provide our food when we were down there. But we had to provide our food when we were down there, and we didn't have much of anything. And no lie, the day we left, I was like, well, I'll, I'll just go check the mail one more time, see if it's come so it's not sitting in the mail box. Sure enough, the mail had come, and there was a check from our escrow account. Like the first year we had a, a mortgage, there was an overcharge. And so we got a check back that was just enough for us to go on this vacation with. I mean, I know that's not great, but it was great for us. At the time, God did it, and that's a memorial for me. So I know that if I'm struggling with anything, you provided back then, God, for something that, whether I went on vacation or not, that's not important in the great scheme of God's life, you know, for us. And yet, if you provide for that, you'll provide now. Amen? I can remember those things. Healings, life-saving moments, you might remember. Uh, less cool things ever prayed for a parking spot. And the Lord just, whoop, there you go. Thank you, Lord. Well, you laugh, but I believe it. God likes me. You know? And we're, it's okay to let God like you. I, I had a friend that used to say she was God's favorite. I'm like, nuh-uh, because I am. God sends a phone call right at the moment. You get a word that you just needed to hear. You didn't even know you needed it until it was said. And you're like, oh, that was the Lord just landed right there. These things, remember, bottom line, put your eyes on Jesus. He will take care of you. Hallelujah. Don't let your eyes stay focused on the problem. John, stop looking at the prison cell bars. Think about what you know of me. Remember, just show him again what I'm doing. It's going to be okay. Amen? Hallelujah. I'm watching the time. There's more to say. It's great. God's so good. Hallelujah. If we can scroll down to the final thing, that's Revelation chapter 21, verse 21. If you can't think of anything else, if you can't remember when you're down in despair of how God has helped you, if you can't remember the, the altars that you've had built in the past, maybe you can remember the promise that's coming. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no death, there shall be no sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Amen? Chapter 21 and verse 21. If you can go to verse 21, same chapter. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. We sang the song Sunday night, and it just hit me. 
I know these promises. When I was younger, oh yeah, streets of gold, streets of gold. I hadn't thought of it in a long time. And Sunday kind of hit me again. I'm going to dance on streets of gold. I'm going to dance on streets of gold. That's a promise. I'm struggling now. And even if this should be the thing that takes me out, I've got gold streets waiting on me over there. Amen? John chapter 14, verse 2. John chapter 14 and verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. I love that because I want a mansion. And he said, if it were not so, I would have told you. If there was something else up there, I would have told you that. In my Father's house are many mansions. Now, I have a pretty vivid imagination. I know that surprises you. But if you could show, no, don't show it yet. I want to build up. There's a third picture. <laughs> I want to build up to this picture. When I went to Europe the first time as a high schooler, and I was in France uh, on a little exchange, I stayed two weeks with a French family there, and um, the French family, mostly I was with other Americans on this tour, but at night we stayed with this French family, and on the weekends we were with our French family. And so they decided to take us, me, on a trip to see a castle. And I don't know if you've ever seen a castle before, but I've seen them in fairy tales, I've seen them on Disney, I've seen castles, but I've never been at a castle. And so we went to this castle called Chantilly, and when I was there, I don't know what I was expecting. I think maybe the fact that I didn't know what to expect added to the shock and awe of the moment. But I pull up, we're traveling through this on a narrow, uh, narrow little lane and we're driving through it and the the trees are all around and then it opens up and now you can put up the picture it still won't give it justice to being there oh I mean can you see little people under that arch tiny tiny little people that's a big building and in America there's really nothing like it and so I don't know what I was thinking I would see. I don't know, maybe the little Super Mario Brothers castle at the end when you get the flag and the points go. I don't know what I was expecting. But when I came upon that, it like takes your breath away. You're like, wow, the opulence and the splendor. And that's human built. And God says he's going to give me a mansion. And I have a pretty big imagination. I can't wait. <laughs> and I probably won't even care what it is because I'm going to be in his presence. So I probably won't even, but I have some ideas what I'd like to see. Another time I didn't put a picture up. Ann and I were traveling Europe and we had gone to Dublin, Ireland and a very similar moment. We were just walking through. We, we traveled poorly. We did not plan much at all. And by poorly, I mean in every sense of the word. <laughs> we were... It was when Priceline was new, and we were like Pricelining hotels in one city for the next one. We didn't even have our hotels planned out. We can't travel that way, of course, now with children. Um, I don't know that I would want to, but it was a neat experience. Anyways, we're in Dublin, Ireland. We found ourselves in this like lovely park, trees everywhere, sort of in the woods. Reminded me a little of like Dolls Arboretum. It was, it was well kept, but in the woods. And we come to this little clearing, and whew, you walk out of the trees in another huge castle. It's, you're just, your breath is taken away. I've got a mansion waiting for me. Amen? I can't wait to get there. So whatever problem you're facing, God, remind me. I haven't got to this altar yet, but I know the promise is right. I know the promise is true. If your word says it, you even said if it weren't so, I would have told you. I want to go to that place. Amen? 1 Corinthians 15 says it like this. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Next verse. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. I can't wait for that moment. I, I, even so, Lord, come quickly. This world is getting, ugh, 
I want, I want, I'm ready for my mansion, Lord. I'm, I want to go. And finally, I want to bring it back to John the Baptist. If we look at Matthew chapter 11 again, and we read verses 1 through 6 already, but if we start at verse 7, I want you to see what Jesus did. Jesus told him, go back and tell, show John again the things that I did. Healed the blind, opened deaf ears, and then as his disciples, John's disciples, as they departed, so I kind of feel like that was still within earshot. Jesus says this. Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? Next verse. But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Next verse. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. That was after John was doubting. John was in prison and he had that moment of frailty. Are you the one? He sends his disciples. Jesus says, go tell him, remind him of what I've done. And then he turns to the crowd. He wasn't mad at John. He didn't say, how could you ever doubt me? He just simply turned around so that his disciples could hear. And he said, how great of a man John the Baptist really was. So the last message they got to go back and tell John was he is the Messiah. And let me tell you what he said about you. Amen. When you're struggling, when you're going through a hard thing, when things are difficult, God is in control. And he doesn't think of you in the way you might think of yourself. He's not the accuser of the brethren. He's got good things to say about you. Amen? Would you stand? Brother Jim comes to lead us. Don't forget, trials are hard. Pastor read Psalm 107 this past Sunday. Please go and read it. It's very powerful. Ups and downs, ups and downs. People are in despair, and then God provides when they turn to him. That's what this is all about. When you're going through a trial, a hard time, I'm just going to trust that God is going to see me through. He's done it before. He is going to do it again. And one day, in a moment, Hallelujah. in the twinkling Thank of an Lord. eye, those streets of gold are calling my name. The keys to that mansion calling my name. I'm going to worship the Lord Hallelujah. through the trial. Amen. What glory, glory.